The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and Tua T Fitness. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Hello and welcome, one and all, to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Dark Knight Edition. My name is Michael Schantz. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, your friend and mine, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to me, Tom. I cannot recommend that you go heli-skiing, Mr. Wayne. (laughs) The funniest slash... (laughs) Only funny scene in the movie. It, yes, I swear to God, this movie has no joy. So well done, Tom Lennon, for cutting through all the cerebral crap and producing a genuinely satisfying comic moment. Right. It's uh, it's worth all those years you were stuck on the And it's funny that he's, he's able to be as funny as he is in that moment. Yeah. Playing it completely straight. I think the only thing that comes like if you blinked, you wouldn't, you'd forget, you wouldn't realize it was Tom Lennon. <laughs> like... No, but I remember that. I remember that scene as a high point of the movie, and that says a lot about this movie. That says a lot about the movie because that is what, so. What that I'm is curious about an aside. <laughs> yeah, that's half a and scene. And what I'm curious about more than anything. Well, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, Tom and I are here to discuss. The 2012 sequel, The Dark Knight Rises, directed by, of course, Christopher Nolan. Yeah. I think we spoke to The Dark Knight being at 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. We go down to 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. For this? Which, to me, I... That's not a big drop. For The Dark Knight Rises. It's right. And I think it speaks to the... Didn't we discuss this in our last episode of sort of, well, Nolan, like Nolan did a magic trick. Like yeah, he just sort he, of, he made, you know, he, he did the force wave. He did an Obi-Wan like, you're going to enjoy this movie. Yeah. A, a kind of Kaiser Soze, the right. greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing people right. that, that the Dark Knight <laughs> yeah. Rises did not exist. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we, we talked. So this is what I'm wondering mm-hmm. about. Do you think we are in the minority? I Do you think we're, we're going to, we both listed this right as a bad movie. Yeah. And um, we, we, we were of, I mean, you, yeah, you're, we're each other's, we are of like minds. We're, we're each other's control experiment for right. feeling weird about not liking this movie as much as we th- because think I, we should. I, yeah. I had said that I don't think I could even admit to myself the first <laughs> yeah. time I saw it that I could admit that it was not a good movie. Yeah. Even though I had this sinking feeling, like, even though I knew objectively mm-hmm. that it does not reach a level at all anywhere near the two movies that preceded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think we just have to, I think we have to accept that and... Um, and move on, really, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think there's an inclination to give this movie a pass for reasons other than the content of what the content and execution of what we're seeing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, which is fine, uh, but it, I mean, it's, you know, I just, there's no way to see it as anything other than the the weak link in this trilogy. In the series, to me, right. Like, we are of like minds. And, they, they, you know, I'm looking at my notes here because the the movie that preceded it had a budget of $185 million. This goes to $250 million to make this fucking thing. Yeah. But other than that, it's pretty much exactly like the last movie. The last movie, I think its opening weekend was like 158. This was 160.8 million. Hmm. Uh, in the USA, the movie that preceded it did better by a bit. You know, it, yeah. it made over 500 million dollars. This one came in at 448 million, 448.1. But they both made a billion dollars worldwide cumulatively. It's it's stuck in a difficult place. This movie for for lots of reasons. Uh, you know, there's the there's the kind of natural inclination of a part three in a trilogy to circle back to the original movie. Which is which I didn't like in this. No, no, I don't. No, I think it's. These these are all weaknesses. I'll tell you when I'm talking about a success. I'll preface it. Don't worry. Um, (laughs) This is all all weaknesses. Okay. Um, Go ahead. But also the need to because of the critical and financial success of the Dark Knight to double down on that movie. So what you get is a pale imitation of both movies, and a movie that doesn't stand up in its own right. On its own. You know, in addition to the fact that, you know, some of that weird intertextuality that we saw in The Dark Knight where, you know, there's there's scenes that are straight out of Michael Mann's heat. There's a bit of The Godfather Part 2 here. Right. I mean, this is gross. That kind of exponentiality, sorry, that kind of intertextuality has grown exponentially in this movie where it's, it's so fragmented. There are so many bits of other... Batman movies, other movies, uh, just kind of diluting this, you know, diluting the the individual experience of this movie for me. Do you think that that was, do you think any of that's intentional on Nolan's part? The the callback to other films? Like, is it, well, is it an homage? Or? Well, starting at the very beginning of the movie, I'm, I'm, Go ahead. I'm pretty sure the Bond stuff is intentional. Okay. To say that the cold open is a Bond-like cold open is something of an understatement, cons- considering that, much, yes. that it is more accurately described as the cold opens of Moonraker and License to Kill combined. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it has a little bit of an octopusy vibe, hey, the end of Octopussy. Y- y- yeah, keep them coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was thinking solely in terms of cold opens, but you're absolutely right. Right. <laughs> I didn't think about the plane-based finales of the Bond movies. <laughs> How could you? Because not, Tom? by the way, what happens we're in only License to Kill fifty-six happens here. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're only at six minutes fifty-six seconds before we brought up Bond. But the, and I am sympathetic. I think looking back, because this is just so ridiculously, you know, a Bond-style cold, cold open to the point of plagiarism. I, I start to think that Christopher Nolan didn't know whether he'd make another big blockbuster movie at this point. And he just wanted to Oh, come on. I don't know. Well I'm well I'm trying to I'm trying to think about why you would I mean, you know, I don't think he saw Tenet in his future. 
where he was able to make an even more Bond-esque movie than this. I'll say. Because there's no other reason why you would go so heavily on the Bond imagery here. But plus, let me ask you this. Don't they fuck that beginning scene up with the when they cut the plane loose? You never see the plane hit the ground. <laughs> you may well be right. I, fuck, I fucking hate that. That's ridiculous. You're going to go through all of that and then not let us see the plane hit the ground? If I'm being perfectly honest, I don't really understand what's going on in that scene. And yeah, I know right. that they were... I don't know why suddenly Littlefinger from Game of Thrones gets in the plane and and decides he wants to shoot everyone but one person. Like, I, I, I don't know... I don't even know who that guy is. I had to look on IMDb to find out he was CIA. I don't know. I don't... Uh -huh. I didn't know who that character is, and he doesn't appear again in the movie. And he's well, the great I, first agent. First of all, Gillen, I think of him. You know, I think of him. Yeah, I think of him. First of all, you know, I get very excited because there's two people from the Wire in this movie, and he's one That's, of them. That is true. Um, yeah. But yeah, yes, of course, he is. He is the mayor from the Wire. Um, what I don't get is how is how is giving the doctor's blood to somebody else are they trying to make the authorities think that that he died that that he died right that is my understanding but, yeah well i mean you got blood <laughs> you need dental records or something it don't you yeah i mean let let's not and let's not forget this does this is probably why they didn't show us the fucking crash because they I you know when it landed maybe they couldn't get a, an explosion or they didn't want it clearly they couldn't have wanted an explosion because if it an explosion blood's burned up you're not gonna find that DNA and let's not forget that we don't call back to this storyline till halfway through the movie the next okay. time we say see doctor we all know you need the dental records thanks to Halloween too. <laughs> <laughs> Good reference. I like it. Thank you. Um, so so you know the, the the idea that this was this Nolan thought this was his last chance to do a do a you know a full on Bond cold open is my only explanation. I think they're trying to recreate some of the magic of the first scene of the Dark Knight. I think they're going for a similar kind of set piece, but they're ignoring mm -hmm. literally all the things that make that set piece that good, work. <laughs> including like absolute clarity about what's going on, which is yes. like what holds that scene together. Like it twists and turns, but you know what's happening at every stage of the way. But you're not confused. We can't even come up with a narrative of that scene between us. <laughs> and it's not like i mean we're we see a lot of movies you know i don't think yeah not, i don't <laughs> i don't think this is our problem in this context exactly <laughs> and you know in in uh i guess as well you know following the the pattern of dark knight this is where it's the cold open where we get the the villain reveal as it were mm-hmm um, and I think they're going for a classic sequel inversion here because the first thing that Bane mentions is what matters is our plan. Now, bear in mind <laughs> right. that in the previous movie, the Joker has a line, 
which is, do I look like a man with a plan? Right, exactly. So I think they're, tra- you know, they're, they're trying to, they're, 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 they're both doubling down and insisting that this is different. <laughs> At the same yes. time. Um, so a lot of mixed messages here. But also, the idea of Bane with a plan. I mean, if you're going to bring that up in your first scene, you want the plan to wow the audience. Does yeah. I, I don't think any of this portion of this plan, it certainly doesn't wow me. It's also not his plan. That's true. He's a henchman. You're, you're right. Spoiler yeah, alert, he he's just a henchman yeah. uh, who can easily be killed. As he was killed in the better Batman and Robin by ripping his mask off. <laughs> his Achilles heel, if you've seen Batman and Robin, which I imagine few people who watch this movie did, we already know how he's going to die before the movie starts. Yeah. Batman and Robin showed us it is very easy to kill this man. Actually, Batman and Robin told us everything we need to know about how Bane ends up in this movie. One, he's just a henchman. Two, you can turn off his mask and kill him. Right? Yeah. You're not wrong. I, what do you fit? I'm interested to hear whether you have any positive things to say about Bane. Because I'm really struggling. Ooh. This is a completely valid point. I don't dislike Tom Be- Hardy. I was just going to say, because when you hear, before this movie comes out, when you hear Tom Hardy's going to be Bane, at least I thought to myself, oh, I like that idea. And then when you see pictures of him and he's, I mean, as big as he is. Right. I mean, he's done. This this should work. (laughs) He's definitely done the work (laughs) physically for this. Yeah. Here's my here's my feelings and see, see, you know, where you might agree or disagree here. Tom Hardy is an eccentric actor. Yes. Often his eccentricities help his characterization of in mm-hmm. movies. In this instance, all of his eccentricities harm the portrayal of the character. So I don't understand why... He decided that he wanted Bane, with his backstory, which is crystal clear, to be suave sounding. Like a James Mason or a Sean Connery, kind of, or or Uh even even touches a Patrick Stewart, who he played a clone of in Star Trek Nemesis. There you go. Um, Why? So he's played a suave and elderly sounding. This is a young man who sounds as if he's conservatively 75. Oh, I don't I I'm not sure I went there. Okay. Maybe that's just that's just me but the 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 heavy bre- but he does sound like an electronic butler. <laughs> okay, maybe maybe that's what. Maybe <laughs> maybe we can agree on that. Uh Yeah. Um and physically, you know when they download <laughs> Michael Goff <laughs> into Max Headroom. Yes, I remember. It's yes, got, 
It's kind of like that. <laughs> Believe it or not, I remember. There are moments in this movie where I would have preferred Max Headroom, Alfred. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, also physically, why he chooses to hold his lapels like William Hartnell's Doctor Who. I know. <laughs> I have notes about that too, yeah. So basically, to sum up what I'm saying, is like none of those choices, physical and vocal, he makes seem in any way to fit the character on paper. Do you even think the... I mean, because part of the vo- vocal isn't his choice, right? Because it was, it had to have been well, th- some sort of post-production <laughs> modulation, Well, this is right? a good point. I mean, he's obviously not responsible for how muffled his voice sounds or how much how much louder the recording is than any other sound in the movie. I mean, that is, right. that's a behind-the-scenes problem. Um... And an, an overall problem in this movie. I guess one of the kind of cliches around this movie is you can't hear what the characters are saying. That's actually not true. You hear... I you, Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, You hear exactly what Bane is saying, but it's too loud. Christian Bale is too low. There's no balance. <laughs> Audio balance is the right. problem. So when they're talking to each other, you're saying, ow, huh? Ow, huh? I realize that... Christopher Nolan couldn't give a shit about home media, but um, right. If you're if you're watching this at home on TV, you do not know where to put that volume button at any given time. <laughs> and you add Michael Caine with his uncontextually loud moments in there, you have no chance. Right? <laughs> it's it's. I really do think Christopher Nolan needs a separate direct, like an assistant director devoted solely to sound. Maybe. He needs to divide divide up. This is one of my biggest complaints about Tenet. Like, if you're going to make a fucking movie about temporal time displacement, don't have your underscore so loud that you can't hear the characters fucking explaining the temporal time displacement. It, so it's, I mean, it's... Cl- I digress. Well, no, it's not a digression. <laughs> I think you're getting to the heart of, the, you know, the, this this... Whether it's him interfering and ruining good sound editors work or he just has bad sound editors i don't know but it's a real problem yeah um it is he let you know he 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 lets his actors mumble and tries to overcompensate by recording other actors too high yeah uh and that speak when you said electronic butler immediately there's a moment (laughs) in this movie very late on in the movie where batman returns to gotham uh, and Bane thinks that you know he's he's uh, lying in a well prison halfway across the world. Whoever who knows right. where that is, um, yeah, <laughs> with with Tom Conti and a blind Yoda and a blind re- yeah, <laughs> and um, uh, and uh, he go he says impossible, and I thought, right. are we in a Transformers cartoon from the eighties? Just the quality of that sound. It's like Optimus Prime is sudden, suddenly right. made an appearance in the movie. It's really strange. Um, so there's nowhere for this character to... to, <laughs> to Excuse the pun, breathe. To breathe? <laughs> do, do you have any uh, additional or conflicting thoughts? Well, I guess just to, to, to add on to what I was saying before, because on paper, all of this seemed like a good idea. Yeah. And 
Like, look, he does physically transform oh, himself. Oh, yeah. You cannot disagree with that. <laughs> and I can't disagree with that. But but at the same time, I, for some reason on the last couple of days, I've just been thinking about, and I think this might speak to the pretentiousness of Nolan at times, but I was I thought, why didn't anybody contact The Rock? You, well, you've answered your own question there. They would. They feel like they wouldn't stoop that low. But it's yeah, not but stooping. My point low. is, it's not a stoop. Yeah, exactly. No, but a pretentious person would think that it's a stoop. Yeah. I have a note very early on in this movie when, in the <laughs> back to the cold open. We're never going to get out of this cold open. <laughs> Bane. I'll give you sixty seconds. Go. Bane, <laughs> Bane uh, says, the fire rises. Right. And I thought, you know what? This is the kind of movie that has the title of the movie in the dialogue, but acts like it would never stoop so low as to have the title in the dialogue. You're right. Yes. Yes. And so I think people like The Rock or Vin Diesel or, hey, Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. All these, all these people who you get more of a henchman vibe from. <laughs> okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a he- like a like a traditional heavy, not a you know quirky method character actor. Um, would have been would have been better, and and the re- and that's the, the thing reveal would have made more sense. Most. Yeah, because when you when you hire Tom Hardy, you do expect it to be Bane's plan. <laughs> you don't want Tom Hardy to be the henchman. No. I, right. I mean, let's hey, take a break. Just be, just before, before we do, I, I will say that Go this ahead. is yet another occasion where I think, I mean, you saying the rock, it, you would essentially be like casting Arnold Schwarzenegger in Batman and Robin. I know it's the same thing, isn't it? You take this, you take this kind of known action hero and you give him a kind of emotional gravitas and and tragic backstory. Um, so, once again, Batman and Robin, an improvement on The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> hey, I, 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 I've got to get dig myself out of this hole. So if I get a chance to mention Batman and Robin doing something better than You're this movie, gonna. I'm doing it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, argue about our argument amongst yourselves, and we'll be right back after this. We're not going to do it. I'll say. I like to think I know something about beer. But nowadays, even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day, you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need. The Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. 
They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas, guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here. Of course, discussing The Dark Knight Rises. All right, Tom, when we last left, <laughs> we've been giving a lot of play to Tom Hardy. Yes. Sort of the uh, the nature of Christopher Nolan and yes. what we might have done differently there. Yeah. I'd like to move on to the women in this film. The cat women? <laughs> Plural. No, Catwoman, just one. <laughs> so yeah, we have we have Catwoman and we have the daughter of Raz Al Ghul. Or Raj, Raj. Spoiler alert. <laughs> As if anyone who hasn't seen this movie will listen to this podcast and then choose to pay 2.99 to rent this movie. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean... So, because we, we gave a little play in our first segment. We were talking about the bringing the first movie back. Oh, yeah. You know? So, and that's all at play with with that character. Well, Liam Ne... Ra, uh, Ra, well, how do you say it? Raj El Ghul? No? El yeah, Raj Raz Ghul. or Raj, I don't know. Anyway, Liam ne- Ghost Liam Neeson. Oh, that's right. We have Force Liam Neeson. Did you say forced Liam Neeson? Yeah. <laughs> Force or forced? For Because <laughs> I have a note say Both. I have a note saying that this is the Force Ghost cameo that he never got in the Star Wars right. prequel trilogy. Like, did <laughs> did you know there was actually a scene written where Qui John <laughs> Why does he play characters whose names you can't pronounce? <laughs> anyway, Qui John comes Qui Gon comes uh Back as a force ghost, and they decided to cut it from the movie. Um, oh, that was a bridge too far for Lucas. <laughs> Which he then replaced with a scene with people talking about that happening without it actually happening. Right. Um, so it was like it was like yes, finally Liam Neeson gets the gets the force ghost cameo that was cut from the prequel trilogy. But uh, it's a very strange device. I mean, we're mm-hmm. not talking about you. You asked me about the women. I'm talking about Liam Neeson. But let me just say, it's a very, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a very strange device to have a red herring that about that character coming back from the dead. That is a red herring in someone's mind, right? So we're meant to believe that Bruce Wayne convinces himself somehow that this character is behind things. In his mind, mm-hmm. but we but we see the ghost, so the audience believe that that's what's happening. So that the the reveals of Bane and his daughter are less predictable. Does anybody as if else the, feel, as if that could ever be predictable? Does anybody else feel like they need a nap after that explanation? <laughs> but anyway, let's talk. Let's let's go. This on, is on... why it doesn't work. That movie. But all right. But, so, but the original um, question, like, I mean, yeah. for, so for instance, do you like Anne Hathaway? I like Anne Hathaway in general and specifically yeah, I do too. in this movie. I think she's a very good choice. 
Especially, I'm glad. I that think they... it only pales in comparison because of Michelle Pfeiffer. Right. I appreciate... and how better written that character was. Completely, I appreciate that they didn't pick another Michelle Pfeiffer type. Yeah, I like that they've chosen someone who's physically different, a different kind of actor, all that sort of stuff. The pros that are here for me is, you know, you 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 still get a lot of the badassery that you want with that character, mm-hmm. um, like a propensity for violence and cool kind of kicking people, uh, breaking people's wrists, that kind of stuff. I like and that. I and I like that. I like those moments. I do too. You have the fact that she, you know, she turns. I like when Batman says, don't kill anybody. And she's she's genuinely disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> I like the, you know, she, the, there's something going on here with gender stereotypes. Her way of, like, getting out of trouble is to pretend to be, a, like, a damsel in distress. But we know she's not. That's good. Right. But that's kind of where it ends. And the the you you pointed to the, the writing. The writing is the problem here. Because that's the a, only trick in her bag. That's the that's the yeah, only that's, that's the only thing we're given. Is... Making her a cat burglar is a strange choice. It <laughs> uh-huh. makes it feel safe and quaint. Also, this idea the idea that where I think it falls down and compared to the Michelle Pfeiffer um, characterization, on you know both behind and in front of the camera. It went as far as kind of reversing the gaze and turning male objectification on itself. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen here. I always feel like we're objectifying uh, Anne Hathaway through the camera. No explanation is given why she's in a leather catsuit, for instance. Except to see Anne Hathaway in a leather catsuit. Right. She is very clunkily riding the Batsicle... And I can only imagine it's just to see her bend over in a cat suit. Bat sickle. <laughs> you know, she's just bending over in a cat suit. Yeah. That's that that's the limit of that, I think. So I never really get a sense that all that great stuff they do with Catwoman in Batman Returns of like mate punishing men for objectifying her. That doesn't happen here. No, no, yeah. And also there's a sense that she has to be redeemed, which I think is is kind of an offensive notion that she has to be redeemed by other by other by male men. characters, right? And in the end of the movie, she's a she's you know Batman's housewife, wife, and <laughs> wife. Batman's ghost wife. Ghost wife. <laughs> what I mean would would a shot of ghost Liam Neeson have been out of place in that final in the final frame of the movie, just in the background, <laughs> as either Rajel Guj or Gucci gone. Gucci gone. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that's great. Yeah, so that's All how right. I feel, Where do you I stand feel about on, that. And how do you stand on Marion Cotier? I mean, <laughs> this distractingly beautiful woman. Uh, yes. As to yeah. what... I, I, but okay, the character I'll, is... Wishy-washy. Just, huh? Wishy-washy. Yeah. I'm glad that some of that wishy-washiness of the character is turned into a, I think, quite decent villain reveal. I mean, at some point in the movie, you can see that twist coming uh, because, you know, she's 
and you know the movie is just showing its hand too much because she's getting herself so into the inner circle you're like she's got to be the villain right exactly otherwise yeah. this movie has no th- third act or fifth and act i never or for a second believed the small child in the well prison was bane <laughs> do you even believe <laughs> that's true do you believe anything about that well prison <laughs> that's, that's straight out of a that's straight out of a mummy or late Indiana Jones movie. That is not in the Batman world. The universe. You know, I mean, like, looking back at it, I remember being uh, thinking at the time, like, like this feels really out of place. This is re- it's a really jarring shift of, of imagery. Mm-hmm. It's sort of become one of my favorite parts of the movie. <laughs> solely down to, you know, an actor whose work I've always admired, which is Tom Conti. Tom Conti, yeah. Who has made a career, yeah, a British guy who's made a career sort of doing comedy foreign characters. And uh, <laughs> here he doesn't disappoint. Right. Yeah, no. Um, and, you know, that uh, you get to see a nice, you know, you get to see the prisoners do a piece of contemporary pop-up dance theater. Uh, which is nice, and um, it's it's that it's that feeling that that actually this is the this is the tone of the movie. The movie's just not willing to admit that this is to the admit tone it. Of the movie. <laughs> it's another one of those moments where I'm like, yeah, you're you know, in a well prison with Tom Conti is about where this movie is. It just refuses to admit that it's. See, that's interesting because. I don't think you're completely wrong, but I also found myself, especially upon this viewing, the only person I found interesting in this movie is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his character. He is also the only person who does anything active. Yeah, exactly. And So there's that, and he's... Yeah. You know, I don't... I don't it, it's a bit of a trope, you know, the idea of, a, a, say, a group of cops. You got five people and four are complete idiots. But, and there's the one guy who can see through the veil of of the mystery of the of the criminals or whatever and like knows where to go to, like, go get Gordon, that kind of thing. It's re- it's it's really funny you say that because one one of the one of the big pitfalls of this movie is is like how badly it continues the story of some of the legacy characters who have been at the heart of the past two movies which are are jim gordon and alfred yeah uh and the jim in relation to blake and i wonder whether this is again just a give give uh joseph gordon let it something to do but jim gordon's faculties really lose him in this movie like the the point at which they decide to put every single cop in the city underground, right? I'm like, can you conceive of no world in which this is a trap? Yeah, right, exactly. Like the you know the 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 last two movies a bit have all been about saying that you know this this kind of uh you know introvert... you learned no lessons from the Joker getting arrested on purpose. Is you know it's been about it's actually been about the you know one of the kind of big character arcs in this series has been Jim Gordon's rise from a kind of introverted cop to the commissioner of to the commissioner the yeah the commissioner of of Gotham and to sort of 
to have him make such bad choices continually in this movie kind of undermines all of his character arc. Mm-hmm. And I guess the same is true of Alfred because he, you know, so give it to us, Tom. Here, <laughs> well, okay, so let's he talk did... about weeping Alfred. <laughs> I'd forgotten how how he comes in crying, like he comes straight. He comes in hot crying. Right. He's never not crying in this movie. And I'm going to I'm going to, you know, I'm going to frame this by saying I love Michael Caine. Who doesn't? I love, Obviously, I love yes, teary-eyed Michael Caine. Yeah. You know. I mean from from the moment he did his you know, get Carter, she was only 16 years old, you know. This is a man who's a, who does a good kind of teary breakdown moment. Like the, the, that, like he, he's got real skills at that. But that's all they ask him to do is to is to tell teary-eyed stories and to kind of mourn characters. He's not in this movie. I was just gonna say, at a certain point, he just disappears because he, he catches says, the I'm... retirement fever. Yeah, and... <laughs> and, and so I'm just thinking of of all the shit you've put up with that Bruce Wayne has conceived to to do on behalf of Gotham and now you're saying this is just too much sir you, you just, figure you figure it doesn't behind... feel very motivated it just no. doesn't like it's just you know that's a bad bit of writing there to me it's I don't get you know it just doesn't make sense it's both a bad and a good bit of writing in that they're, they're, the screenwriters are sensible enough to realize that what's going to happen in this movie dealing with Alfred being there too is too much. But the bad part of it is why the fuck are we focusing on people other than Alfred? Mm -hmm. Why the fuck am I focusing on Matthew fucking Modine as whoever this guy is? <laughs> I know, I know, right. <laughs> like he has the most developed character arc in the movie yes. at the expense of characters that you everybody actually else. want to see develop and grow and change. Right. And that's uh, the nothing, thing about again, this movie. nothing against so... Matthew Modine. Nothing. No. With my two children, Matthew and Modine. <laughs> Don't you Jiminy Glick me. <laughs> well, Jiminy Glick, Jiminy Glick would be great in a Christopher Nolan movie because he goes up very high and then very, very yeah. low. <laughs> so, but I think it's interesting that you said it's both a bad and a good piece of writing because I think that's what's at the heart of this movie. Uh, ideas that should be good <laughs> yes. that are written poorly. For so, yeah. Take for instance, Batman. <laughs> Batman no, nominally the star of this movie. Yet we've not spoken about him. We haven't once. spoken about him yet. So, it like doesn't it seem like a good idea to have Batman not at his best? The idea of him being humbled physically. Yes. Right? Yeah, right. But then I know you what have, you mean. You know what I mean? But then you have Batman who can't fight. And so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, it just... It ends up just shooting themselves in the foot. This is not not to let the Dark Knight off the hook. He throws two punches against Bane in those fucking sewers, and then he's breathing so heavy he needs a fucking oxygen mask. There's there's literally minutes in this movie of Batman being beaten within an inch of his life. Yeah, right. <laughs> Could, you know that is not an effective superhero. 
Um, yes, exactly. Thank I, you. I dig everything that, that you're saying. Um, and I, I, I got two, two things to add on to that. One is to go back to my quotable. Like <laughs> right. if Christopher Nolan watches his movies back and I, I don't think he does. Otherwise he would have sorted out his sound problems by now. Mm-hmm. He could have looked to that scene in the doctor's office and says, we can do real world Batman without it being bleak and apocalyptic. Like we can, yeah, we can right. have fun with this idea. We can say, uh, he doesn't no, have you to... have no knees. Yeah, you know? he doesn't it's have like, to tear his ACL. It was my, my <laughs> you great know? It's like, you have no knee cartilage. You know, all that sort of stuff. You can do it with a lighter touch and a sense of fun. Um, and certainly the... Because I don't once let you the introduce do- that, by the way, like, I don't care how many... How long you sit in a rope in well prison or how many push-ups you do, you're not going to beat Bane. If you don't have your kneecaps... You just turn his mask off. We again, <laughs> Batman true. and Robin solved this problem. You turn his mask <laughs> off. <laughs> um, I wish he was monosyllabic in this movie. I'll tell you that. Um, yeah. but <laughs> but I don't want to let the Dark Knight off the hook because it definitely set in motion the tropes of uh, Batman doesn't want to be Batman. He's not good at being Batman. He <laughs> periodically yeah. opts out of being Batman. That mold is set. The problem is. We never see another kind of Batman in this movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so so, <laughs> so that's a, that's a major problem there. But I I think I think you're absolutely right. It's it's again, it's a be careful what you wish for situation. But you can you can do those things without without bumming everyone out all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things. This movie has such a lack of sense of humor that oh yeah there are unironic allusions to the Batman TV movie from the 1960s like <laughs> all content no comedy like the the time yeah. it's the the time bomb oh, the Batman the time then bomb. F- flies over the bay is a set piece from the Batman 60s, probably the most famous set piece from the Adam yeah, West is. movie, the Some Days You Can't Get Rid of a Bomb. Like, everywhere he looks, there's children or uh, nuns. Like, he, you know, he just... Ru- but it's just Adam right. West running around with a, bo- with a bomb with, like, a sparkler on it that says bomb. So, but the fact that this movie does those, does those jokes as serious things that you're meant to take seriously just says it all about the 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 vacuum of of fun at the center of this movie right well and i also have a problem with once you decide to you you referenced the 60s batman with the fuse and this movie basically has the same thing but it takes a month you know so that batman can get back from india or wherever the (laughs) fuck he is Ugh. I mean, it just. I mean, at one point I wrote, one of my notes is, two period, long period. Yeah, a full fifteen minutes longer than the, the last movie, and yet, I mean, you know, we we uh, we were very critical of the number of set pieces in the last movie. Yeah, but at least it passed the time, right? This movie has 
what like three set pieces in yes exactly it's like it's like a it's like a, a sort of existential version of speed <laughs> without any of the associated pleasures of that without, extraordinarily yes, without anything great movie. that makes speed fun to watch yeah because speed is like three right it's three set pieces it's the elevator the bus and the subway that's it right that's all you've and got. that's it uh, and here you've got, what have you got? I guess if you discount the cold open because it's from a Bond film, uh, you've got... You have Batman coming back. But uh, even that's after showing him as an invalid. I want to talk, just can I, can I take a moment to talk about the first time I saw this movie? A quick moment. Okay, it might not be quick. Um, Let's take a break then. No, we'll no, come... okay, so... so... <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's take a break then. Right. I don't want to stunt you, Tom. I want you to be able to talk as long as you want. Well, but... yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, we don't we, broadcast standards. We don't have a. We just we can decide where it goes. But I'll save it until after the break. All right. We'll take a break, everyone. I don't want, and then we'll people want to hear where they get fitness beer or. Um, what else do we sell? Fitness beer. Fitness beer. Uh, we sell another podcast. That's right. Yeah. What's the other thing we sell? Fitness, beer, and... Well, you'll find out. Coffee. <laughs> we'll be we right create back. the problems, and then we solve the problems. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out To A T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. To A T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. We are back. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, Tom and I are here discussing The Dark Knight Rises, directed by Christopher Nolan. Tom. Yes. You were going to tell us about the first viewing of this movie. Yeah. I'll just I, quickly say, by the way, on my way home from my first viewing, did not feel compelled to go see it again. You probably didn't have time either. <laughs> yeah, not enough hours in the day. <laughs> it's like, I, it was morning when I went in here. Um, uh, so... First, I saw this in a, in a movie in one of those luxury movie theaters where they, you know, they uh, serve food mm-hmm. to your seats. Um, something that I, well, I mean, I guess during COVID, that's definitely going to go out of fashion for a while. Yeah. Um, but it probably should anyway because I think it, it it complicates the the movie experience. It does. And, I agree. And I was, <laughs> and so 
with let's face it this movie is not great at communicating what's going on oh yeah no and the, there's a period early on in the movie where you also need to know what happened in between these two movies because let's not forget this despite having a you know karate kid 2 style a scene that happens <laughs> at the end of the last movie uh picks up immediately and then we skip eight years yes okay so when Alfred is talking to Bruce Wayne and he says, do you remember those seven years when you were away? Uh, and he starts to tell that story. So someone was getting brought hummus who was with me, right? So I, <laughs> I, was, like, I was distracted. And I, I get, I get, I get, um, <laughs> it's always hummus, you know, it's like, who the fuck wants to eat hummus in a, At a movie. movie? Anyway, um, and, you know uh, that great movie snack, hummus? <laughs> I have your baba ganoush, sir. Um, <laughs> would you like some butter on your baba ganoush? Um, oh, that's a band name, Buttered Baba Ganoush. And I thought Alfred was saying, you've been gone for seven years. Because I remember someone saying, <laughs> I remember one of the many characters in the Harvey Dent Day scene saying, it was eight years later. So I was doing the math in my head and I thought he was saying, oh, Batman, after the end of Dark Knight, went away for seven years uh-huh. and he's been back for one year. Because I, but so... It is you know, confusing, I, though. Right. You're right. Yeah. But now I look at it and I think, you know, maybe it wasn't just the hummus being delivered. Um, <laughs> because the, not only are they very similar amounts of times that Batman is not being Batman. Is gone. And in hiding. I, I also sort of thought that, um, yeah, it, it was... <laughs> I was thinking maybe it's, it's, uh, it's not that, like... How has he been living like this for eight years? And why is his leg the same right. state of disrepair as when we left? Like, he has access. He's fucking rich. He has access to the best he doctors in the world. He has quality health care, I'm sure. But then that it can be fixed with, you know. Right, with, with, with a, a, a an clamp. electronic brace. Right. Just, <laughs> hey, that's good. Now Now I can kick walls. What? And and you know, for for one minute until Bane breaks my back. <laughs> right. So yeah. But it, again, it's... in that fight, throws two punches out of breath. <laughs> like Yeah. He, he looks so, like he's struggling. So I had a whole different idea of, of what was going in here, but I think I think the movie is it's not a very convinc like I see why they want that amount of time to pass. I like the fact that it brings it brings the kind of the real world timeline and the movie's timeline sort of in sync. I kinda like that. Mm-hmm. Um you know, you you can go back to the Batcave because one of the big problems of the Dark Knight is that Wayne Manor was burned down and yeah, right. they, the Batcave wasn't there for them to use. So it's nice that they can go back into the Batcave and they can do the piano key they thing. They can do the from... piano stuff. They can, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but, I mean, it would be if he did any Batman stuff, obviously. <laughs> it's just like going into the Batcave to check his emails. It's really, that's like, it's like, this is not the best use of this technology that you have here. <laughs> um, So, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, it's a, 
it's very strange. But I mean, it, it made me think of so many moments in these movies made me think, think of all the sequels we've watched. You know, 11 minutes into this movie, we see a character looking at photos of characters who aren't in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then that happens again later in the movie with a different character. Um, <laughs> right. the, you know, the immediately picking up where the last movie ended and then doing a time jump. Like, all these things make me think that this movie is falling back on a lot of hackneyed conventions. And it's always a sign that the movie doesn't quite know where to what go it wants to do yeah right uh and that's just borne out by the rest of the movie it doesn't never really turns into also something we've talked about before too many characters yeah and that that is evident from like the first scene when they're at the harvey dent day i'm like i didn't it's, it's like being at a party it's like i didn't get all your names i don't know who <laughs> all of you are and then there are so many characters like there are so many characters who could easily be one character like right. Daggett and Stryker can be <laughs> exactly. a striver. Stryker's from Airplane. Can't get anyone's name right today, but it's the movie's fault, not mine. Of course. They can be the course. same person. There is no loss. You it's like I feel like they were they had to choose between Ben Mendelssohn and Bern Gorman and they split the difference. And they said, Why not both? And I feel like, no, one of those is fine. So one is all you need. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's yes. So that that was that was all I had. All right, but I don't. Yeah, I I don't think it was just the the Baba Ganoush. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Well, I mean, so what do you think of that? The like the last set piece. Courtroom steps. Starting with courtroom steps, that fight. Like to your well, point, we're... Matthew Modine only has—he's the only person with an arc in this fucking movie. And then, of course, and they kill him. They have to show an establishing shot of him dead, which made—which made me just say, "Oh, so he was right." <laughs> well, I should mean, have stayed again... home with his family. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, we mentioned in the the previous podcast that you know that the the political problems of dark knight are really doubled up here and you know that set piece of seeing so it's police fighting terrorists Mm -hmm. right so it's basically like two oppressive forces battling over the city the people of gotham are just pawns in this fight yeah right it's we're, we're back to this idea of like you know you you as a as the individual citizen have no role to play in your own democracy beyond staying at home and out of sight beyond being a witness right and then, you know and anytime we again like in dark knight anytime we see any form of democracy like the kangaroo court that scarecrow so is the judge yeah of, right it's you know it's seen as a sham um although i i was going to say that you know my 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 only other contender for uh, funny scene in this movie is the return of Cillian Murphy, and it's mm-hmm. actually better than his cameo in Dark Knight because he is actually Scarecrow this time, as opposed to right. we're not quite sure whether he's Scarecrow or not. Like it's very like you. I think without... it's a given in the Dark Knight that he's Scarecrow, but but why does Batman not recognize him? Well, what do you mean? Like you have to have a line that says, "Hey, I remember you." 
But no, he treats him as if he's just some, like, vigilante copycat guy. They fucked that one up. I don't but know. He, they, they, but he catches him. What do you um, want? Like, well, that whole scene shouldn't be there anyway because a Rottweiler gets hurt. Um, but he, but in this one, it's very clear. It's like, oh, he got out of Arkham Asylum and they put him in charge of like being the, you know, he's the worst possible person to be doing this to job. To be a Makes judge, right? Yeah, of course. And then they do, and Christopher Nolan is British, so I guarantee you this is a real reference. They do a version of a joke that was in a sketch of a British situation comedy called The League of Gentlemen. And the joke is death by... It's called... The joke is called Extraordinary Gentlemen or... No, 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 no. All right. Just The League of Gentlemen. Um, And it's... It's called Death by Mau Mau. And, you know, to to give you a synopsis of the joke, which, uh, you know, all jokes should be done as synopses, I think, uh, for (laughs) maximum effect. English explorer gets caught by tribesmen in the jungle. Um, jungle says, you know, uh, death or mau mau. Mau mau is we stick giant pieces oh, of fruit right, right, up right, your right. ass. Yeah. And then at the end he says, oh, I couldn't. By I don't mau think mau. I could handle that. I'll take death. And he says, death by mau mau. Same thing. Same thing. So it, it it's weird. the levels of intertextuality here are, are kind of spiraling out of control, mm-hmm. I think. Um. Very odd. And then, you know, I, I also saw aspects of this movie that we, because we, in in our well, time, Parts of this movie also feel like Red Dawn. <laughs> you know? You're where, not wrong. Where, yeah. Like, the fact that you're not wrong is a problem. The cops are just walking the streets, but they got to walk the streets careful because they can't be seen, but they're going to be seen everywhere they go. But they could still walk unhindered. So long as the tank rolls by or they get behind a garbage can, like the rules don't seem really intact. In our own in our in our own timeline, we've just done a, a watch along of Batman v Superman. Correct. And um, I was interested looking back at this through through that through the prism of that movie because you know I, I thought it was it was chalk and cheese, you know, apples and oranges that. Um, that they were just they were totally different iterations of of Batman, but the Gotham City football game here and the kids singing the national anthem. I mean, oh, that is well. right out of Snyder's playbook. Yeah, just the focus on kids in this movie right. is a source of sentimentality. Um, but of course, you know the the huge difference here is in the the Alfred portrayal, and I do think it is partly the fault of this film that. You know whether it's whether it's a corporate note or Zack Snyder's weird view of the world, but I can see why they wanted to pull away from the excessive sentimentality of Alfred and Batman's relationship, because it's a level of melodrama you've never seen before. Um, like crying over over Bruce Wayne's grave at the end of the movie. It's like <laughs> I see why they wanted to pull back. I don't know why they went with. You know, former member of Kraftwerk, Jeremy Irons, but like, <laughs> so I, the, you know, this the, I can definitely I see a continuity into those movies that I'd never seen before, hmm. as well as you know callbacks to things like the masked ball scene from Batman Returns. Right. Yeah. It's so funny because when, <laughs> um, I was I just heard a great comment on uh, Star Wars Minute by. 
Alex Robinson, they're covering The Last Jedi at the moment. And the, he he observed that Finn has so... John Bodega's Finn has so many built-in storylines. Like, he could go and find his parents. Yeah, right. He could, like, uh, help other stormtroopers to defect. But no, he's going to learn a lesson about class warfare and the economy. Yeah, and. Right. I thought exactly the same thing here in the masked ball scene, like, and it's worse because it's not just potential; it's not a missed opportunity. We've seen this scene done perfectly. Yes, we've right, exactly. And we used it as a way of talking about identity and identity doubling. and duality, and yeah, right. yeah. And yet they're talking about how a socio-economic revolution is hitting because it's post two thousand and eight economic crisis. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do these two characters have to do with any, any of, that? of that? Right. So, oh, interesting. There's just so much. It's just so much missed. This movie is a miss. Yeah. I think so. I mean, you know, we. I'm trying to find nice things to say about it, and I'm trying to coach the bad, the you know, the negative well, and that's stuff the funny in, as, thing in is, as positive terms as I can. But that's it's the hard. funny thing because when we did our our ranking and our declaring, I think both of us even said on any given day I might tip a toe onto the good side. But the more we're talking about this movie, the more failure I'm seeing oh. in it. I'm over that anxiety now. I think I am too, like completely. <laughs> This movie's not good, goddammit. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, some again, like, not solving... Not solving that problem of... Bruce Wayne is just rich scum. <laughs> it's really hard to relate to him. Like, right. the day after Alfred, like, says, I'm not gonna hang around anymore i'm leaving yeah like you 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 retire every other week i'm gonna retire too um <laughs> like the next day he's lying in bed waiting for alfred to wake him up still yeah it's like you know even lucius fox is like you're answering your own door mm -hmm. um you know i'm just like i just thinking oh god like you're gotham a, should gotham a, should burn to the ground you're a bit of a piece of shit huh <laughs> Gotham should, and you know, I found alternative role models here, like people I would rather have turned out to be Batman. <laughs> like for some reason, even though previous to this, the board members at Wayne Enterprises have been like depicted as, you know, scum. Like it's suddenly in this movie, they're the most noble heroic characters in the movie. First of all, like the the um. And you only see this if you watch this and Dark Knight back to back. But mm -hmm. one of the board members yeah, that yes. speaks, speaks in here is the one who stands up to who the Joker. Who stands up, right. He says, we won't be intimidated by you. It's like, I want him to be Batman. Can he get a <laughs> franchise? Yeah. And then, the, you know, the, li the, the little guy with the gray hair and the blue suit who's like, volunteers himself. He's like, I realize right. I might die here, but... I would rather, you know, I'll be the board member who stands up to you. And I'm just like, I want, like, bat there you've got your Batman and your Robin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Geriatrics style. And it's just like, it's just like, that's a sad situation, I think. When you're, um, 
when your hero's <laughs> when you're look- not you're a looking, hero. <laughs> you're looking for heroes in all the wrong places. Right. And your actual hero is lying in a well prison somewhere in an undisclosed part Country, of the world. Right. <laughs> with Tom Conti and a blind guy. <laughs> while while some dance theater goes on around him. It's it's just yeah. Well we Lots haven't talked at all about Morgan Freeman and the character of Lucius Fox either. Like not a lot to do in this movie, <sighs> not... right? No, and I guess for the final, I'm going to say twist, and you know by my tone I'm putting inverted <laughs> commas around that. Yeah. Um. Again, he has to like he has to be represented as totally naive and stupid for any of this plot to make sense. Right. Because he lets he lets the villain get like. To the heart. To of, the bomb. To the bomb. He, or to he, what he, will he, become he, the bomb. He literally introduces the villain to the weapon yeah. that they're going to use <laughs> to blow up the city. Um, and then all that stuff about the autopilot, which you know that's coming back. And you know that. Yeah, exactly. It. You know that's coming. By the way, the scene where Alfred tells him his deepest wish is to, you know, be getting dinner and see like and then they show you the scene and you think to yourself, why do they show us that scene? They're going to clearly show this at the end of the movie, which they yeah. just do. So you see yeah. the scene twice. And they make a mistake there because we're supposed to be, like Alfred does not feature when when Gotham is under siege. Right. He does not feature at all. So it would have made way more sense if We'd have just seen him in Italy because then they would have explained that he moved abroad. <laughs> because if he's in Gotham, why are we not? Like, how is he not wrapped up in what's going on? He would have come back. I don't know. It's it's very strange. It's um, all messy. But, God but then, damn this uh, movie. but but then, but also like the fact that it's Batman who fixes the autopilot to the Bat plane. They call it the Bat here. Um, it's like literally Lucius Fox has nothing to do that's really the point at which he could have like like, Batman's like suddenly realizes oh Lucius fixed the autopilot I can survive this rather than him secretly fixing the autopilot and not telling anyone that he didn't that that he didn't uh, die Mm -hmm. like that could have been Lucius's moment because I mean you know, in the Dark Knight, for all the political problems of that scene, he's he's the he is the he you know he does that Desmond Llewellyn in the field thing where he's actually you know he's not just giving he's he's not just giving Bond his his gadgets he's also out there as a as a field agent and he had something to do but here apart from fucking everything up and not saving the day. <laughs> But then again, and I mentioned this last time, you know, as with Batman Begins, and this should only happen once, the movie, the finale of this movie is based around Gary Oldman bumbling around with technology as the as the way that the, the, the day is saved. Oh, yeah, you're completely right. Like, why would you, why would you, you know, I, I found that hard to take once, to be honest, him like remote driving the Batmobile. And in this mm-hmm. movie, the villains have multiple Batmobiles. They're everywhere. 
So they do. It's it's almost like they're deliberately setting out to sabotage any notion that there's anything special about Batman. <laughs> but I think you can do that without losing the the kind of heroic mystique of that character. You can say that he's vulnerable and flawed, and that you know, as you said, that he's easily broken and all that sort of stuff. You can do that without negating him as an active presence in the movie. Yeah, right. Because he just flies the bomb, right? That's all he... That's all he does. That's all he does. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you feel differently about The Dark Knight Rises, you please let us know. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Leave us an email at everythingsequel at gmail.com. Tom, anything left? Answering your own door? (laughs) (laughs) I don't. (laughs) That's insulting to Morgan Freeman. He doesn't. He doesn't go full Uncle Remus. He goes about seventy-five Uncle Remus. Right. Exactly. All right. Well, for Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz from the How Dare You Awards. We will. You'll be hearing us next time when we pitch a sequel to Christopher Nolan's series. Say goodbye, Tom. I see from the television you've got your taste for wanton destruction back. (laughs) Damn good television. (laughs) All right, we'll see. We'll be hearing. You'll be hearing from us next time, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't mean a postcard.